Well, good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me for Business, the Law and You. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. Later in the program, we'll have a look at a Harvard Business Review tip. This one is uh, don't over-monitor your goals. We're also having a chat with Christina. We're going to be uh, continuing on with that don't ask, don't get tips. But right now, we're going to chat with Zasko Van Rowen from Baker Love Lawyers about that lawyer client relationship. Good afternoon, Zasko. Hello, Julian. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for joining us. And uh, for clarity's sake, what exactly are we talking about when we refer to the lawyer-client relationship? That's a good question, Julian. Um, Generally, a lawyer-client relationship is two parts, one being the existence of a relationship where a lawyer knows his or her client from repeated representations, uh, such as clients who do regular transactional matters like business transactions that require legal input or consideration, advice, assistance, um, or other matters such as updating wills um, and estate planning papers, conveyancing matters, uh, commercial leasing matters. And then the other part is um, the lawyer-client relationship uh, um, where a lawyer owes certain duties to a client whether it's an existing client or a former client. Yeah, with these uh, constant changes that happen these days, do clients still value an ongoing relationship with a lawyer in in today's day and age? Or is it that their value for clients having such a relationship, is there value in having that? Yes, Julian, uh, there's still people who find it uh, important to establish and maintain a relationship with a lawyer. I think there's a... um, a difference how people from older age groups value such a relationship opposed to the younger people in society. Um, And yes, Julian, there's definitely value for a client in having an ongoing relationship with a lawyer. Um, Clients value that relationship uh, generally as they are aware that the dealings between a lawyer and a client um, are confidential and uh, that the lawyer is bound to provide independent advice and also to respect the lawyer-client relationship. You mentioned age. Why do you think there's a difference in age group in regards to the lawyer-client relationship? Yeah, that's interesting. I think um, that older people appreciate familiarity uh, more than younger people. Older people find comfort in knowing where the lawyer is and have been practicing for the past 10 or 20-odd years. Um, They personally know the people within the practice who they've uh, been dealing with, uh, or they know them from seeing them around in their immediate social environment or community. Uh, This familiarity often ranks higher on the priority list than other aspects for um, the specific uh, age group. Um, The younger people tend to not worry as much about where their lawyer practices from, how old they are, whether they know him or her on a personal level, or as a figure in the immediate community. Perhaps this has uh, something to do with um, today's technology, which created a virtual world on five and six inch screens. I don't know. Yeah, we certainly can't get the young people off those uh, screens sometimes, can we? So no. so what are the benefits for a client in having and maintaining uh, this lawyer-client relationship? Yeah, Julian, 
uh, there's many reasons why a person should have and maintain a lawyer-client relationship. Uh, benefits that come to mind are if um, you know an existing lawyer um, who knows you, it is much easier to make contact and engage with a lawyer uh, when the need arises or, uh, or because the lawyer is more familiar with your circumstances. Again, that familiarity comes into play. Um, when a lawyer receives an instruction from a client for the first time, uh, he or she may need to spend some considerable time with the client to ask questions uh, which the lawyer would need to do to establish an understanding of the client's circumstances. Whereas if there's an existing lawyer-client relationship, the lawyer is generally aware of a person's circumstances. Remember that lawyers are on the outside of the ring and need to gather objective information and facts which uh, um, about the people involved in the matter. Um, when there's an existing lawyer-client relationship, the lawyer should already have a base of information from which he or she can work and uh, get down to the nitty-gritty of the matter much quicker and with more accuracy. Um, it's not only the lawyer that would be aware of the circumstances of the client, but the client would also have a base knowledge of the lawyer, uh, which will help the client understand better how the lawyer manages his or her clients. Let's face it, Julian, if um, we're saying that it's a good idea to have a and maintain a lawyer-client relationship, but sometimes the reason for engagement of a lawyer uh, may not be pleasant and therefore the client may already be stressed and frustrated because of their circumstances. Knowing the lawyer or having that sense of familiarity with him or her just makes it much easier. The other thing is lawyers are all humans and they all manage their matters differently. If you have confidence in your lawyer's ability, you will find comfort in knowing that he or she will look after you and your matter. The confidence is more likely to exist if there is a, an existing lawyer-client relationship. If, you have, if you've got an existing relationship with a lawyer, you may have direct um, contact details of the lawyer, which would make it easier if you need to contact the lawyer after hours or over a weekend if you need urgent assistance. And dealing with um, someone that you know and you've had a positive experience with in the past may generate um, the confidence that you need in your lawyer. So the other part of the, uh, the, the relationship is the duty by the lawyer to the client. What does that entail? Yes, Julian, um, the uniform conduct rules for solicitors places uh, certain duties on lawyers, such as um, to act in the best interest of their clients, to be honest and courteous in all dealings, to deliver legal services competently, dil diligently and as promptly as reasonably possible, to avoid any compromise of their integrity and professional independence and to comply with the rules of law. Also to follow clients lawful, competent and proper instructions and lawyers also owe confidentiality to a client and their information. Well, great. Well, thanks very much for your time, Zasko. Uh, 
and uh, I think obviously the uh, further discussion on the duties of a lawyer might be worth having a look at one day, so maybe we'll have a chat with you again another time. Thanks, Julian. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Keep well. Zasko Van Royen there from uh, Baker Love Lawyers helping us to understand the importance of that relationship. I mean, obviously it exists with all professionals, but very, very important that uh, that relationship exists there with our lawyer. Time to pop over to have a chat with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. What an amazing voice that man has. Well, he has. He's been around a long time too. Such power, yeah. yeah. So we're going to continue on with our don't ask, don't get tips. Yes, I I thought we might go through a couple more. Um, just a, a bit of a recap. Don't ask, don't get is a is a phrase that we use a lot um, when we're running workshops, doing one-on-one consultation facilitations, because if you don't ask for anything, you will receive nothing. So, mm. And it's always to be done with respect and kindness and, you know, all the right motivations about how you can then best serve your community, your clients, whatever. But... So we did a few tips last week. I thought we just might go through a few more. Um, very fortunate, and I know you've had her on the program, Jennifer Holland. So yeah. fortunate to work um, with Jen on, on a few different things. Uh, and one of her main um, main sayings, and I've got this labelled under persistence. So we don't ask, don't get persistence. Jennifer Holland's one of her main sayings is, today's no is tomorrow's yes. And there's a really nice story behind that. So, so Jen uh, was trying to do a negotiation with an organisation, was going through the CEO. The CEO kept putting blocks up. Um, she left it for a little while. At one point of time, noticed that the CEO had changed because she's very up there with her LinkedIn, you know, mm, yeah. keeps an eye on everything. Uh, and, and noticed there'd been a change in CEO, approached the new CEO who fell in love with the product and said yes. So the mm. moral to the story is... Just because the answer that you get today is no around something doesn't mean that if you persist, um, and if you persist respectfully and politely, of course, don't make a test of yourself, um, but then that no could just turn into a yes. So when you're thinking about what it is that you want to ask for, just because you get a no the first time doesn't necessarily mean that no is going to be the final answer. Uh, Another, another, And and even... if you've, even if you're dealing with the same person, if you present your case in a different way, you may get a yes the second time as well. That's quite true. So sometimes it's the language. Sometimes, mm. you know, we just get people in bad moods. Who exactly. go, or you never know when somebody's just come back from holidays and they've got a thousand emails in their inbox and a That's thousand sounds like an exaggeration, but sometimes it's not, you know. Yeah, so maybe that something's been passed over or whatever. So that persistence. Um, is one of the one of the tips for don't ask, don't get. The next one I'd like to share with you is, um, at the end of the day, everything is invented. So we invented the 40-hour working week. We invented every single train timetable. We invented accreditation on courses. We invented universities. We invented everything. So if you can remember that we invented everything, let's use that in the don't ask, don't get category. There's a really nice story behind that as well. So in 1968, Mexico City Olympics, Dick Fosbury first tried the Fosbury flop. Now, this has become standard way of doing high jumps. But traditionally, you know, jumpers would swing their outside foot, whichever way they were going, over the bar. It was like this straddle um, position. And Fosbury in 1968, so think about that. That's quite some time ago now. Mm. Fosbury twisted his body after running up and threw himself headfirst over the, over the bar. The response that he got was, that must be illegal, 
The coaches were absolutely beside themselves. People were going around shaking their heads in disbelief. But what he had done is challenge the assumption of how people had to jump. Hmm. And this is, you know, we invented everything, challenge the assumptions of around how things need to be done. Again, we always say respectfully, polite, politely within the, you know, within the confines of the law. Hmm. But by 1980, 13 out of 16 Olympic finalists were using the Fosbury flop techniques. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. it's all invented is the next tip that we can give people around the don't ask, don't get category. Have and I that, got time to do another and one? And that all fits in with innovation anyway, because uh, that's how often we've got to change things. We change things constantly. You know, yeah. every time we come up with an improvement, that's a change, that's an innovation. Small change, useful change is improvement, that's innovation. Yep. Have we got time for another We tip? can have one more minute. Okay, so amplify your strengths. When you're going around figuring out what it is that you want to ask somebody for, you need to know where your strengths are. What is it that you're good at? How can you utilise your strengths? Don't waste your time worrying about weaknesses. Um, that's not to say that, that we're not a, on a continuous yeah. journey of self-improvement, sure. but how do we improve our strengths? Because when we amplify our strengths, when we become masters in, in the processes or the, the things that we are developing, whatever, if we're amplifying our strengths, we have more of an idea of what we want to ask for. So how do you ask for help to amplify those strengths? Mm. Sounds great. We've got another couple we could do next week or we can move on to some products next okay. week. Okay. Well, we'll have a chat over the week and see which one would be better. We shall. Have a great week. Thanks again. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Christina there with, yeah, don't ask, don't get. That's a fantastic saying, isn't it? For a couple of our Harvard Business Review tips, the first one, as we mentioned earlier, don't over-monitor your goals. Having goals is a good thing. But the current trend of self-monitoring, whether through time trackers such as Toggle or fitness trackers such as Fitbit, means we're constantly over-evaluating ourselves. The sales we make, the hours we work or the miles we run. Over-monitoring can get tiring and cause us to lose sight of what really matters. Avoid this trap by taking a more humane approach. First of all, assess yourself. If you're constantly measuring what you're doing and feeling uneasy about things you actually want to do, it's time to loosen up a bit. Then reevaluate the why. Think about whether you're monitoring habits because they work for you or because it's what you think you should do. Thirdly, disappoint people. Don't get overwhelmed by the, all the things that people expect you to do and be. Let some of them just go. And finally, be brave. Stop looking at your self-worth as a scorecard. So we do sometimes tend to over-evaluate those goals, don't we? And the other one is you don't have to say yes to every opportunity. It's hard to say no to great opportunities, even when you don't actually have time for them or they're not in line with your top priorities. Let's face it, most of us succeed early in our careers by saying yes to almost everything. We're afraid to say no, so we overcome it. But learning to say no is the only way to find the focus and productivity you need to become great at what you really want to do. You'll only make progress on your most meaningful long-term goals if you carve out dedication time for them. So the next time an exciting invitation or opportunity comes along, think carefully about the time involved. In addition to the commitment itself, is there planning or prep work that has to be done? What's the travel time? Will there be follow-up? 
thinking this through will make the return on investment or lack of it clearer. So an interesting point there. We often don't say no to things. Maybe we should. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at that lawyer-client relationship with Baker Love Lawyers uh, from with Zasko Van Rowan there. We've also had a chat with Don't Ask, Don't Get with Christina. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to talk with James Patterson, who's an author of Disruptive Impact. And we're going to talk about the effects of this on business. We'll chat with uh, Christina again and maybe have another look at the Don't Ask, Don't Get and some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for Business the Law next same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week and, as Henry David Thoreau once said, success usually comes to those who are too busy looking. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>